Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Pastor of Ministry Mobilization, Guy Smith. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. My name is Guy. Uh, Joe Still is on, our lead pastor is on sabbatical. So I'm number two in the lineup. Um, Next week is Craig Tuck. He's number three. And Batty Cleanup is Dave Harden. So he'll be up in a couple weeks. He's back in cleanup, so obviously I know where I rank on the scale of batting order. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so it's good to see everybody. It's good to be here. So when, when Joe and I was talking about just kind of what, what, to, what to say today, we, had, we threw around some ideas, and then um, I did like I normally do, and I prayed about it, um, and it was a little different. Um, but I really wanted to just get back to the basics. I, I feel God sometimes when we go through maybe a hard year or through hard times or whatever, God sometimes goes, why don't you just get back to the basics, right? I mean, when you go and you start a football season, over they start with blocking and tackling and running. When baseball, it's hitting and catching, right? Just, just basic stuff. So today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and start turning there, Hebrews 1 It's going to talk a lot about who is this Jesus? That's it. Who is Jesus? So I've entitled it Knowing Jesus because I want us just to kind of walk away with knowing a little more about who Jesus is. Who is this person that we follow? There's there's some other Christological passages, John 1, Philippians 2, Hebrews 1, and Colossians 1 and 2. That doesn't mean this is the totality of who Jesus is. It just means this is a concise few verses about a lot about who Jesus is and Jesus's deity. So if you will, if you found your place in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to go ahead and start reading there. Just the first four verses. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become more, much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you gave us this word so we can know, know who you are. Help us to learn. Speak to our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this letter written to the Hebrews, the Hebrew children, it's, it's a lot of, it's written to people that were, that were Christ followers, but some people had said, to be a Christ follower, you must also do all the Jewish rites and rituals and things like that. So basically, you have to be a Jewish person, and then you can believe in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews goes, not so fast. We're going to go through this, and if you read the whole book of Hebrews is a lot of themes about Jesus is superior and Jesus, we're gonna use the language of that last song, the song before last, that Jesus is better. So just a couple of themes, not all of them in in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better 
than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the earthly or the fleshly high priest. Jesus is better sacrifice because he sacrificed once for all. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Just a few of the themes that run through the book of Hebrews if you read through it. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. So let's go ahead and just dive right in to verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We know the Old Testament speaks of God speaking through patriarchs, prophets, dreams, tablets, burning bushes, angels. He spoke in the past. Jesus, through the Old Testament, you can see, if you, if you kind of read the Old Testament with your Jesus glasses on, you can see where Jesus shows up a lot. But the whole Old Testament prepares us for Jesus, the Messiah. So we know that the whole Testament is written to bring about the coming Messiah, and that Messiah's name is Jesus Christ. So as we read the Old Testament, we should listen to what it says. We also should go, okay, I know this is coming to Jesus. They knew it was coming to Messiah too. They just missed that it was Jesus. They knew the Messiah was coming. They just didn't, it, Jesus didn't look like the Messiah. They thought he should. So they didn't see that. So God spoke in the past, but look at the next part. But in these last days, he, God the Father, has spoken to us by his son. So God spoke in the past. God speaks through Jesus today. He uses the Bible, pastors, godly men and women, prayer, and the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So when I was reading this, I'm thinking, okay, if God speaks, am I listening? When I was a kid and my dad spoke, I know I better be listening, right? If I didn't listen to my dad, there's something to be paid. Because my dad expected to, to me to listen. Have you ever taken your child and they're running around crazy and you're, trying to, you're talking to them, you know they're listening, you grab their ears and say, listen to me. Oh, maybe that was just me because of my kids. But God says he spoke, so are we listening? So I just want to get a couple minutes on just how, how do we listen to God? So I think there's two ways we can listen to God. One is active listening, active listening. I think active listening is when we do our Bible reading and we read good Christian books about the Bible and Scripture reading. I think that's where we get our active reading. So there's a book by a, a church planter and pastor named um, Wayne Cordero and his book, Divine Mentor. His whole, the whole book is about how we can be mentored by the Bible. And I know people say, well, I need a mentor. I need someone to sit down across the table from me. I need a mentor. That's a mentor. Listen, Jesus wants you to know him. There's no second book, right? There's no other, there's nothing going, there's nowhere someone goes, you know what? This is all about Jesus, but when you get more spiritual, we'll tell you a little more. There's none of that. Jesus is all throughout the Bible. So we active listening, he says, you need five things in active listening. You can jot these down. A Bible, obviously, right, because Jesus is an open book. You need a, uh, a Bible, a pen to mark it up. If you're one of those that marks up your Bible, please do. If you're one that don't mark up your Bible, you can start. It's okay. It, it's, okay it's okay to write in here, like a, like a date that something happened, or you can circle something and go, oh, that real, that's really good. It's okay to write in your Bibles. And if you don't like to write in your Bibles, then have, a, then have a journal and write next to it. 
And that's another thing. You need a Bible, a pen, a journal to write down how God's working through you. How, maybe you can read it and let, years later you can see how God answered promises. Or maybe he didn't answer a, a prayer that might have been a good thing that he didn't answer. You also need a reading plan. If you don't have a reading plan, meaning when you get up in the morning, if you just go, ah, just go up to the Bible anywhere, that's not a plan. You need a reading plan that says, okay, tomorrow I'm reading this. Tomorrow I'm reading this. Even if it's going, okay, each day for the next week or next month, I'm just going to restart with the Old, New Testament. I'm going to read Matthew 1 today, Matthew 2 tomorrow. That's a, that's a plan, right? That's a plan. If you don't have a reading plan, Google Bible reading plans. I'm sure there's tons out there. You can go to the Bible app, the U version. They've got lots of plans. You can do them with friends. If you don't, and if you have at your last resort, Send me an email, G. Smith at River Bluff, and I'll be glad to give you as many plans as you want because they're out there. But you need a plan. If you don't plan, you're not going to do it. And then he says you also need a daily planner to keep you on track. Those are five things Wayne Coderre says. Bible, pen, journal, reading plan, daily planner, for active listening to what God says, what the Scripture says, active listening. But I also think there's passive listening. Passive listening is silence or solitude. Now, silence is different than solitude, these um, spiritual disciplines. Silence is where you just sit there and you're quiet, maybe for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, and you just push thoughts out of your mind and try to listen to what God's saying. Maybe you just read the Bible, maybe you just prayed, but you're going, God, I'm just, I'm just giving you this time for me to listen to you. Because isn't it as important to listen to Jesus as it is to talk to him? Sometimes we give our laundry list of prayer requests to Jesus, and we go, amen, and we get up and go to start our day. And he's thinking, I need to talk to you. I've got something to say. So we listen. Solitude is getting more away, getting away for a day or uh, many hours, or just getting, getting away just by you and God. Not for just a few minutes, but for a longer period of time. That's, that's solitude. I'm reading a book, actually I just finished a couple weeks ago, called um, Whispering. Whisper, Listening to God by a pastor named Mark Batterson. And he talks about when people go into um, a recording studio, before they start mixing music, they go into a very quiet area and clean their ears of all the outside noise, right? So they go into this quiet area, they get quiet, then they go mix music because they can hear the music better. That makes sense, right? Kind of cleaning your ears from all that stuff. So when was the last time... You were quiet before the Lord and just listen to him. In the story of Luke 10, when Jesus tells the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus goes to their house and and Mary is um, listening to Jesus and Martha's just busy, 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 busy. Martha's like, Jesus, would you tell Mary to help me? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but the one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. She chose to listen to Jesus. She chose just to sit there and to listen. The cooking can, once Jesus gets done, they can cook. They can do other things. But Jesus was speaking at the time. If you neglect listening to Jesus because you're busy, that's not good. So we need to take that time. The story in 1 Samuel 3, when Samuel is, is a young boy living with Eli, uh, Eli the priest, and 
he hears his voice talking to him saying, Samuel, Samuel. So, so Samuel runs to Eli and goes, Eli, what, what, do you, what do you want? And Eli's like, I, I didn't call you. He's all right. So he goes back, does it a couple more times, and then he comes back. He, then Eli figures out what's going on, right? Eli was a little slow. Eli figured out what's going on and said, hey, next time you hear the voice calling you, say, here I am. So it says in 1 Samuel 3.10, and the Lord came and stood, Sam, stood calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. When was the last time you were quiet in front of God and said, Speak, Lord. I'm here to listen. We're going to do something really awkward. Get over it. I like to do awkward things. Um, I don't know the last time that you were quiet for a period of time in front of the Lord. So we're going to do it today. We're going to take one hour. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to take one minute. Just take one minute of your time out of today and we're just literally going to sit here and do nothing except sit in front of the Lord. Here's how I do it. I sit down. I got a couple different places in my house. Um, and I sit. And I just, I'm just, I just quiet myself. I turn on my alarm on my phone and my watch. So that way I'm not thinking. I'm not going, hey, has it been five minutes? Has it been ten minutes? I'm not doing that. So here's what we're going to do. Get comfortable. We're going to sit for one minute. No interactions. And if you have to say something to God, all I want you to say is, Lord, I'm here. Speak to my heart. I'm going to set my watch for one minute. Ready? Here we go. One minute. Amen. That was one minute. Some of you are like, that was really awkward. And somebody's like, you know what? That's pretty good. I might do that tomorrow. I, I, would, just, I would just encourage you to do that when you can um, on a specific time. And maybe that's one of those calendaring events you do. So as we're thinking about Jesus speaking, we're, we're listening, right? We need to listen to who Jesus is. So I'm going to go through. We have in this short ver, the short uh, verses we have, it's where Jesus is we have eight tributes of who Jesus is. So number one, Jesus is the heir of all things. Look at verse two. He has spoken to us in the last days by his son, who he appointed heir of all things. Jesus owns it all. Everything will find its true meaning when it comes under the final control of Jesus. You can't find the true meaning of anything without Jesus being involved. Everything else is just false or, or just try, counterfeit. But Jesus is the heir of all things. And in Romans 8, 16 and 17, it says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So if we are children, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're his child, if you're his follower, you are his children. And if you're you're his child, then you are an heir with him. But it says here, sometimes we suffer with him. Sometimes we suffer with him. But through those sufferings, we will be glorified. He will also be glorified. Jesus is the heir of all things. We, and we are co-heirs with Jesus. So how do we act? Are we acting like Jesus is our brother, our co-heir? Or are we acting like the world? Are we doing what we want to do? Are we putting everything, every decision, all that stuff under Jesus' rule and reign? How are we acting? How are we, how are we acting? Do we, do we act like, you know what? Every time something, something hard comes up, I'm going to look back to the Bible. Or we go, I'm going to get the best advice I can from the people at work, from people at other places. Or we go, I'm going to look back to the Bible. Because that's where my wisdom comes from. That's where I get my knowledge. That's where I get what I need to do next. So Jesus, we are co-heirs with Jesus. Number two, Jesus is creator of all things. Also in verse two. He pointed out of all things through whom also he created the world. That word world right there is not where we get cosmos, like our cosmological. It's where, it's a word, uh, aeon. It means Jesus created time and space. It's more than cosmos. It's more than just, it's more than just a, um, a ball of gas. It's the time and space in between. It's, the, it's everything. It's just, so 1 John, John 1, 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. Everything that was made had its origin somehow, somewhere in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Colossians 1, 16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things that were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator of all things. He was with God at the beginning, making the creation. Now, I don't understand how it all works. If I can understand God, I'd be as smart as he is, and that's not me. I don't understand. I just know what the Bible says, and I believe what the Bible says, that Jesus is the creator of all things. Nothing was made without his, without his knowledge, without his making it. Jesus is the creator of all things. Number three, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Starting in verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That word radiance means to send forth light. Jesus has his own glory. It's the same glory, the same essence, the same glory as God. Jesus is the light that shines into a person's heart. Without Jesus, there's only darkness. Jesus is the only one that can shine into a dark heart and make it light. Jesus is the only one that can take that light, that light of life that he has, and make it into a person and make them a whole person and give them purpose and give them meaning. John 1.14 says this, and the word became flesh talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. See, we have seen his glory in verse 14. It says, we have seen his glory. I mean, that's God's glory. Jesus' glory. It's the same glory. It's not like us. We reflect God's image. Jesus has his own glory. John 8, 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are a child of God this morning, you have that light. Sometimes it may not feel like it. Sometimes it may not look like it, but you have that light living inside of you. Sometimes we just need to turn it on, make it bright, clean out the sin to make it shine bright in our lives. But we have that light if you're a child of God. In John Piper's book, God is the Gospel, he writes about these, this, this one, this, um, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, and the next one we're gonna talk about. He writes this, um, Again, God is the gospel. I'll put, I got a couple books I'm referencing. I'll put those on the realm later today or tomorrow. Um, so just be looking for the great books, some, maybe some summer reading. Well, God in the gospel, John Piper's a little heavy for summer, unless you like heavy reading. It just is because he's Piper. So he writes this, Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews 1.3. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory his glory, glory as the only, only son from the Father, John 1, 14. This was not the glory of a creature. This is the glory of a begotten son, begotten from all eternity. As implied in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. His glory, talking about Jesus, is the glory of God because Jesus Christ is God. I'm gonna read that one more time. His glory is the glory of God because Jesus Christ is God. The glory of the only son, not the creature sons like us, but the divine son is the glory of the father because they are of the same essence, the same divine being. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells boldly, Colossians 2.9. This is the fullest reason why he is called the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.5, is also the fullest reason why Jesus said, I and the father are one, John 10.30. And whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. And the Father is in me, and I am the Father, John 10, 38. And I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. Revelation 22, 13. Jesus is God's radiance. I don't understand it all. I don't understand how it all works. But so I'm going to try to explain it. It's a, probably a really bad explanation, but I'm, going to work, I'm, I'm working on better ones. So if you look at the sun... First of all, don't look at the sun. I was told that was bad for your eyes. Don't look at the sun. And unless you get those glasses we used to have for the eclipse. Am I get, still get the eclipse glasses? Maybe you could use those. All right, so you got you get the sun, right? The sun, let's say the sun is glory because it radiates. I don't know. So you get the sun's glory, and then you get the sun's shine. The sun radiates just from the, so you can't tell where the sun stops and the radiation and the sunshine starts that's how I think of God's glory. God's glory is this big ball of awesomeness, and Jesus' glory is the same stuff. It just kind of radiates. I told you it was a bad, a bad example. That's the best I can do. So I'm thinking, so when I see God the Son, it's the same stuff as God the Father. We need not forget that because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Number four. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Look at verse, back to verse three. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint 
of his nature. That, that word imprint, so in the NIV it says exact, exact representation, and the New King James Version says express image. Here in the ESV it says the exact imprint of God's nature. That word imprint is where we get, is the Greek word character. It's like a, it's a, like a die that they use for making coins, right? So I have two coins. I have two. I'm trying to remember. These are special. These are like, they're quarters, but they're Washington crossing the Delaware quarters. Who knew? Um, but it's a special quarter. But if you look at these quarters really, really close, the only difference is, this is a little older, 2021. But if you look at them, they're the exact same. They're both made in Philadelphia, so they're the exact same. That's what he's saying here, is he's saying the imprint is exactly the same. God's imprint in nature and Jesus' imprint in nature is exactly the same. Jesus is God in their very nature. Colossians 1.15 says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That word, Colossians 1.15, where it says the image of the invisible God, that word is where we get a word icon. It's spelled a little different, but it's spelled, it's icon. So, right, so any, any, any computer people out there? Right, everybody's got computers, right? You got an icon on your computer, what's it do? It opens up a bigger program, right? It's a, it's, it represents the program. And again, we're trying to describe God's nature here. It's another bad illustration, but you know what I'm saying, right? You look at the icon, you go, you see a big W and it's Word. You click on it, it opens up the whole program. So Jesus is God's icon on the earth. Philippians 2, 6 says this, who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's why he came down from heaven. Jesus looks exactly like God does on earth. So when I read that, I go, well, who do I look like on earth? Who do I act like? Who do I look like? Do I look like Jesus in my parenting? Probably not. But my kids are grown, so I'm a better dad now. That's not true. Sorry, that was, I just said that because self-serving. But who, who are we looking, who do we look like? Sometimes I think we look more like the world than we do look like Jesus. We need to think about who do we look like. Jesus looked just like God on earth, and we need to look like Jesus. Number five, still in verse three. See what I'm saying? This, it, this, these first four verses are just jam-packed with stuff about who Jesus is. It says in the exact imprint of his nature, he, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds or sustains all things by his powerful word. He upholds is a present active participle, which it's a continuous action verb. It means he's always continuing to do this. When I was in high school and even the first year of college, I was a terrible English student. I had no idea what a present participle whatever was. I took Greek and started learning all this stuff because it was interesting to me. Then I thought to myself, I wonder if that stuff in Greek works with English. It does. So I learned something. I'm trying to teach Kyle or something about English. Not going to happen. He's shaking his head. So he sustains us. He, he upholds us all the time from the beginning of the world until the end of the world, whenever that is. He sustains. He brings everything together. And I love the fact that if you think about the world, right? You should, so we're in this little earth, third rock from the sun, if we were any further away from the sun, we'd freeze. 
if we're any closer, we'd burn up. If we didn't have the right oxygen, we couldn't breathe. Our oxygen, we breathe in, we give off carbon dioxide. I couldn't remember that in the first service, so I had to get help from a, a scientist lady. She says, it's carbon dioxide, because carbon monoxide will kill you. I said, oh, okay. So I don't, I don't want to make that mistake. So carbon dioxide, we give off, and the plants use it, and the plants give us oxygen. Isn't that cool how God made that? God made all this for a specific reason, because he's holding the world together. He puts the moon in the right place for tides. We need tides. Tides give us really good oysters here in the low country. If you don't like oysters, sorry. Oysters are good. Colossians 1.17 says this, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And John 1 the first three verses says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. When you look about your life, who holds your life together? This last, this last year, maybe even the last five years for you, I don't know. Sometimes our, our, our life seems like it's going crazy and that's okay. Maybe it is but who holds it together is Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, if we knew that and we thought about that and we stepped into that more, it would be okay when things happen. But we know that Jesus is there to help us through. He holds it together. And maybe you're here and you're going, I don't get that. My life stinks anyway, but I don't know who Jesus is. Well, maybe you need Jesus to help you get that life right, get your life together because he holds it together. Not just the world's, he holds your life together. God is so good like that. He loves us so much that he wants to be a part of us to help us. He's just not out there somewhere going, whatever, and we do it ourselves. He's out there going, I can help you through that. He can help us through. So if you don't, if Jesus isn't holding your word together, is not holding your world together, then you need to put your trust in him so he can hold it together. Number six, Jesus provides purification for, the, for sins. He upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power after making purification for sins. So he made purification for sins. Jesus was our sacrifice for our sins. He was the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29 says this, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus just doesn't go, I'm just gonna cover the sins and maybe they'll come back later. I'm just not gonna put him in a room and you can pick him up later. No, he goes, I'm gonna get rid of him. If you give your sin, if you give your, mis- your whatever to Jesus, and he says, I got it, I'm taking it, it's gone. Jesus takes away, he's not giving it back. The only people that pick up your sin after you've given it back to Jesus is yourself. Because Jesus already took it. It's gone. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, if you're marking your Bibles, this is one of the ways you should be marking in your Bible. If you highlight on your tablet or whatever, this is where it should be highlighted. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him God the Son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. (sighs) Key verse in scripture, key verse in the gospel, key verse in who Jesus is. So I know people have said, you know, Jesus, they, you know, at the cross, they put 
all the sins of the world on Jesus. This says Jesus became those sins, not just on him, they became him. So that when he died, those sins died with him. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior and you put that sin, give it to Jesus, he takes it, he's killed for it, it's gone. He purifies us for, because in spite of our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We can't get to God with sin in our lives. We can't. We ask Jesus, he takes away our sin, we become the righteousness of God. Say, great exchange. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus had to die. He had to shed his blood for you, for me, for the whole world. We just need to believe. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's just a it's good, but that costs Jesus his life. Jesus provides for the purification of our sins. Number seven, Jesus completed his work. The end of verse three, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The great thing about this one, when the Jewish, when the readers of the letter to the Hebrews, when they read that, I'm sure they were excited because at that time, they were still going through the rituals of, of sacrifice and shedding blood and worship that way and all that. And the writer writes to the children of Hebrew, you don't have to do that. Jesus did it once for all. You don't have to continue to make sacrifices over and over and over and over again. Jesus did it. All you have to do is believe in John 19, 30, it says, Jesus said, it is finished. In Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, um, this is one of those where Jesus is better than the high priest. It says, for it was indeed fitting that we should make such a high priest, holy, innocent. This is about Jesus. Now, fitting that we should have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. Just as a review, if you don't remember Old Testament um, sacrifices, the priest would walk in, he would take a, take a bull, lamb, and he would put his hands on, on that. He would confess his sins to God, lay him on the bulls, ceremonial taking the sins, then he would kill the bull and blood would flow. He'd be forgiven his sins and then he could go and help the other people forgive their sins. Well, Jesus did that, but Jesus was perfect. Jesus had no sins to confess. So he was a better high priest. He was a superior high priest. Once for all, we don't need to continually over and over again slaughter animals. Mark 16, 19 says, so then the Lord said, Lord Jesus, after, I'm sorry, then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus finished his work. Number eight, Jesus was highly exalted. Look at verse four. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent 
than theirs. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus superior to the angels just because of who he was because he's the heir of all things. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I read that, it's, it's scary to me to know that I've made mistakes, and if I die in my mistakes, I still have to answer to Jesus. But I see a lost and dying world out there that has never bowed the knee to Jesus before they go to see him. At least I've already got that relationship. We've already got that relationship. And Jesus goes, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. But this says, every knee shall bow. Jesus has been highly exalted into heaven. So as we look at this, what are we going to do with what we've learned today, who Jesus is? All these different attributes of who Jesus, what do we, what do, we do with that? I think one, we need to listen. We talked about listening earlier. We need to listen to who this Jesus is because he is God. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's one that holds everything together. Why not listen to him? So we read the Bible and we go, okay, God, I'm going to do that because you said it. Not, I don't think so. I know you're the creator and all, but my friend, you know my friend? They said, I don't really need to forgive that person because they wronged me. And the Bible says, no, no, you need to forgive them. You're going, but yeah, my friend said, who are you going to listen to? God, the creator of all earth? Jesus, the one who was with him? Or are you going to listen to your friend it's a no-brainer, right? Not saying it's hard, not hard to walk out. We need to listen to him, and then we need to do what he says. Whatever it is, whether it's in the word or whether it's a, uh, a word from the Holy Spirit, we need to do what he says. So we listen. We go, okay, God, thank you for that. And then we do what he says. So last Tuesday, I was a, uh, a pastor friend of mine. He's, he's leaving. Um, so... Will Browning from Journey Church, if you know Journey Church, it's over on Treeland Drive. I think their address is Latson. Um, he was going through this a few months ago, and he, was just, he felt God calling him to do something else. So he was bargaining with God. He tells the story about he was bargaining with God. God, but look what I've done. All, look what we've done here. We've done a lot of good stuff. Played the church 15 years ago in, in, their, um, in their living room. It's grown. It's touched lots of lives. People have gone out. They've play, they planted six or eight churches out of that one church. They've done really good things for the kingdom work here in the big church of Charleston. And he goes, see, God, look all the stuff I'm doing. Isn't that great? And God said, I got something else for you. He talks about how he, he and his wife, Tara, wrestled with that, about what is next and why would God do something different. But he was listening so they, they decided that they're listening to God, do what he said, and they're, they're going to be, so here's a, here's a young man from, well, he's not young anymore, but he's from Bamberg, right, came to the metropolis of Charleston to plant a church, and now he's going out to Los Angeles, 18 million people, to be the church planting catalyst in Los Angeles. Talk about listening to God and doing what God wants you to do. 
And he used this analogy, and I've used it before. I've, I've heard it. It's just been a while, so it, it messed with me a little bit. So as pastors, we, if it we messes with us, we get to mess with you guys. So, a blank, so you know what a check is, right? A check is, you have a check. Some of you young people, if you don't know what a check is, ask your parents. You have a check, and you write the check out to, let's say, your cable company or whatever. You put the date. You put the, uh, the amount. Uh, you write to the cable company. You sign your name, and you send it off. And it's just for that specific purpose, that specific amount, the specific date. Blank check faith says, here, God, here's a check. There's no date on it. There's no amount. There's no two. There's no place. It's all about, and then you just sign it. It's all about what God wants to do. And God could take that check and do what he wants to with it. It could make you just move next door and talk to somebody. It could make you forgive somebody. It's that blank check faith of going, God, I'm listening. What do you want me to do? But I need your help to do it. That's that blank check faith. But if we're honest with ourselves, myself, sometimes we have a gift card faith. Right? You get a gift card. I give a gift card to my son. It's $25 to, you know, God's chicken, Chick-fil-A. And it's, you can use it at any Chick-fil-A, but it's only good with at Chick-fil-A, it's only good for $25. That's gift card faith. And I think some of us, we have that, God, I'll spend this amount, but I want to do it here. I, I want to do this amount, but I don't want to really forgive that person, so I'm going to do it here. Or I'm going to, I want to really just go here. I just want to serve in this area because that's where I feel comfortable. I don't want to serve someplace else, even though I feel like maybe that's what you want me to do. And I'm only going to do it a little bit. I'm not going to go all the way. I'm not all in. I'm just part in. So where's your faith today? Do you have that credit card? Do you have that, I'm sorry, the gift card faith? Or do you have a blank check? And you young people are getting ready to go to college or off to the workforce. Uh, please pray about giving God that blank check faith that says, God, I don't know where, I want, where you want me to go. I don't know what that's going to look like, but Father, I just want to do what you want me to do. Because sometimes we get in our own little lives and we think that it's all about us. It's not all about us. It's about Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we are thankful. We're thankful that you give us all the things we need to live. You give us all the things we need to go forward. You give us so much and sometimes we just take it for granted. So, Father, as we look at you, as we look at what we just learned today, as we look, look at how to listen to you, Father, I just help that, hope us that we will learn to listen to you. And not just listen in a way that says, I hear you, God, but a way that says, God, you are so awesome that I will do whatever you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. I will go where you want me to go. I will hang out where you want me to hang out. I will serve where you want me to serve. I will do what you want because you are the God of the universe. You are the light of the world. And you speak to little old me. And if you're speaking to me, I'm pretty excited. So Lord, work in us. Have your way in our life. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.